welcome to the Chicago Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can check out more about our work at chicagojustice.org or get involved at cjpnation.org. Today, we're going to cover Democrats folding like a cheap suit, and they're doing it around the country. Lori Lightfoot may have been out ahead of the curve, in fact, that she never embraced defunding, or she did it in a less than uh, ethical and honorable way, I guess we could say. Then we're going to talk about the Inspector General and the Mayor Lightfoot preventing real investigation into the Anjanette Young case. Then we end with Dr. an editorial in the Tribune by Dr. Dr. Jens Ludwig. Uh, the editorials on gun violence. And we're going to talk about the editorial, take it apart a little bit. Talk a little bit of our history, Chicago Justice Project's history with Dr. Ludwig. So we're going to get right into it. First segment today is about the Democrats folding like cheap suits. And it comes basically um, from an article out of the Tribune, a year after defund, police departments get their money back. Exhibit number one of why Democrats are so incredibly weak and useless. And let me say right at the top, even, we're, even though we're suing her. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the one person, I should say the one person, the few people around the country that have stuck to their guns for the most part, and is, key, and is kept on track with data-driven decision-making and research and evidence and progressive ideas. Our progressive prosecutors, for all of Kim Fox's faults in Cook County, she has stuck to her guns amongst the reign of terror from the mayor, which has all been false, the police uh, superintendent, David Brown, which has all been false, the Fraternal Order of Police, which has all been false, um, alt-right and very conservative aldermen. Their criticisms, criticisms false, right? All the research from Loyola University, two different studies have proven bail reform has not meaningfully contributed to uh, an increase in violence. And the fact that like uh, of all, across the state of Illinois, Kim Fox has actually been handing down harsher sentences for gun possession. Yes, you can go back onto our show and the archives it on our YouTube channel or on Facebook and see those with one interview is with Don Steeman, Professor Don Steeman, Professor Dave Olson at Loyola, and the second one was with just Dr. Olson. Um, fascinating. But to keep that in mind as you hear about all these mayors bailing, let's get let's get into this. This reminds me of uh, a quote from the a movie, The American President, Michael Douglas. And he says something towards the end. I was so busy keeping my job, I forgot to do my job. That quote has always stuck with me because that's the quintessential, quintessential definition of what politicians do. It is all about keeping their job and getting reelected. It isn't about doing their job. So let's get into this article. In cities across the US, police departments are getting their money back. From New York to Los Angeles, departments that saw their funding targeted 
amid nationwide protests over the killing of George Floyd last year have watched as local leaders voted for increases in police spending with an additional 200 million allocated to the New York Police Department and a 3% boost given to the Los Angeles Police Department. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Crime and violence goes up and down to some extent completely independent of the police department. Police get too much blame when it goes up and too much credit when it goes down. Useless, horrific, corrupt politicians complaining, you gotta control violence, gotta control violence, hire more cops, hire more cops. That is more, ladies and gentlemen, about political, managing the political fallout and them keeping their job than it is doing their jobs. Long-term massive increases in police staffing and police spending is not gonna do the cities any good. Certainly isn't gonna do any good for black and brown communities. It is to some extent throwing the money down a toilet. Police help, sure. What's the right number? That gets more complicated. Obviously, since we're in similar um, issues that we've been in before in this country with crime and violence, what we've done before did not work if we are where we are. Now, take that all with the fact that we are in a nation, nationwide, worldwide pandemic still. So 2020, what happened from March 2020 through today, cannot can be compared to other years. And there's no reason to think hiring more cops is going to make any bit of difference. But it's the politically expedient answer. So mayors around this country, New York to LA, Chicago included, just keep throwing money at cops. Combat, let's go. We're going back to the article here. To combat rise in violent crime last year with homicides up 25%, 252, the highest point in two decades, Dallas has embarked on an old school approach, hotspot policing. The strategy, which relies on the idea that a small number of places contain large amounts of the city crime have been tried and tested around the country for decades. Yep, no doubt. And it doesn't work. And I will tell you why. Evidence, look where we are today. If it worked, no one would have went away from hotspot policing. Am I saying it never had any impact? No. Did I say, am I saying, did it make a meaningful change to have a long-term impact on violence throughout our country? No, it did not. Absolutely not. Why? Because departments went away from it. If it really, really, really worked, they wouldn't have went away from it. The 1990s crime drop, right? Early 90s through about 2015 in most cities. The 1990s crime drop, bigger than any department or city. The 2020 crime rise, bigger than any single department or city. So the question is, why are we in this situation now? Basically, because it's a worldwide pandemic. But also, if the 90s crime drop was independent of any police department or city, and this increase is independent of both of those. Why are the solutions to these things going to be found on micro scale in the policies and practices of the local police department if all the causes are bigger than what's going on in the local city or state? We are in the situation we are in, besides take, considering the pandemic, but even say you look at the numbers in 2019. We are in, let's look at, the, let's consider this 2019, right? We are in the numbers when 2019, we were there 
because of what we did 5, 10, 15, 20 years earlier. There is a direct connection from the past to the present in everything in our lives. Why do we keep repeating the same things that didn't work, that contributed to getting us in the situation we're in now? Because it's politically expedient and, and people lop, lop it up. Because with the crime-wise, which makes this one worse than anyone we've probably had ever in the city, is that there is social media. So images of this is getting out. Oh my God, can you believe they did this or that? Yeah, they've done that in the city every year for the last hundred years. What are you talking about? But because it's on social media, it's constantly in our face and the media is reporting about it so much because it's on social media and people are being bombarded by it 24 hours a day, they can't get away from it. Democrats, for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, especially city leaders, Chicago, New York, LA, bunch of Dallas, and you can go around. They are, and if you, they are the party that won't ever change anything. It's going to have to be forced upon the Democratic Party, for the most, most of them. They're not going to do what needs to be done. Mayor Lightfoot, Superintendent Brown, two perfect examples. Mayor Lightfoot promised all this change, but nothing has come. I was the head of the police board. I was the head of the police accountability task force. I was the head of Office of Professional Standards. See me roar, look what I'm gonna bring in. And then nothing happened. It's just sad. The only person that stuck to their progressive guns, Kim Fox. Who gets the most shit, probably, or pretty close to it for sticking to her guns, Kim Fox. Now, Lightfoot's gotten a fair amount of it only because, I mean, and let me back up and say, we're suing Fox. She deserves some of the shit she gets, but God, is Mayor Lightfoot, and she's getting a lot. She deserves more. So does Brown. Brown was a horrible hire, and Lightfoot should pay the price for that. Okay, we're going to move on to segment two, internal investigation, botched, internal investigation of botched police raids stymied by mayor's launch of parallel probe. Former Inspector General says, we are hoping to, we are in the, uh, in the process of um, arranging a sit-down interview with former Inspector Joe Ferguson. We're going to talk hopefully about a whole wide range of things. He was in office 12 years, so he was in office both under Rahm and a few years of Mayor Lightfoot. So... We will be talking about this, but I wanted to go over the article. Also, this is from Fran Spielman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot's decision to hire a private law firm to investigate the police raid on the home of Anjanette Young and use attorney-client privilege to conceal details of that probe stymied efforts by the Inspector General's office to find out what happened. Joe Ferguson, the city's now retired Inspector General, said Tuesday, you can't make this shit up. Why the hell did the mayor need a probe from an outside law firm into the Anjanette Young case when she has the inspector general's office, who, by the way, has a deputy public safety inspector general, an office to set up police thing, police affairs and actions and activities? Why did she need that? She helped a little bit create that office. This is why Mayor Lightfoot wanted to control 
what the results of the investigation were going to say. The mayor's office, the city hired those people. They were going to control what got released, how that report got released, if it ever got released, and what the findings said. That is the only reason not to have the inspector general would do it. That's it. That investigation from Jones Day, and that's important, you've heard that law firm's name before on the podcast, was set up, in my opinion, to, well, let me back up and say, that investigation by Jones Day, it, it can be a piece of evidence if you're going to discipline some of the officers. But an investigation has to be done either by the inspector general's office or the citizen office of police accountability or the internal affairs. One of those agencies, three agencies has to do it. Regardless of what Jones Day does, regardless of what they find, that those findings can be part of an investigation done by an outs another agency, the police accountability system, but that's it. So the only reason to bring in Jones Day is to keep Ferguson and his office out of what was happening because she didn't want prying eyes into the corruption in her office. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Lawsuits are coming from the Chicago Justice Project. Not in this specific issue, but a parallel issue. They're being drawn up now. So let's get a little tip there. Let's get back to this, um, the article. I mean, really, you just can't make this stuff up. But he was unable, the, the, the inspector general, because he just delivered a report on his findings of the Anjanette Young case to the mayor's office. Doubt we'll ever see it. But he was unable to recommend disciplinary action against any city employees. That's because Lightfoot asked former federal judge Ann Claire Williams and her Jones Day law firm to launch a simultaneous investigation and included interviews with 20 of those same city employees. Lightfoot's administration then claimed attorney-client privilege to seal, shield that information from Ferguson. Oh, my God. Keep with the article. Although the inspector general's report, final report includes no recommendations of disciplinary action, Ferguson said Young was victimized by the initial raid and then re-victimized after the fact by every level of government. Continuing, she was treated poorly in the context of her FOIA request. She was treated Freedom of Information Act request. She was treated poorly in the context of her litigation. She was treated poorly and in some ways unprofessionally by people who are supposed to be serving the greater public good and approach this in a transactional litigation way, forgetting the fact that this woman is a victim of government conduct and misconduct and should be treated with respect and as a victim throughout, he said. This is so Chicago. Lightfoot did that parallel investigation purely out of corruption to hide the malfeasance in her office. That was the only reason for it. That's enough. If we had a recall function, that should be enough, among many other things she'd done to recall her and get her out of office. I have no idea how she thinks she's going to win re-election again. Here's the last part of the article. It brings us back when we were five or six years. It brings us back where we were five or six years ago and where her career got its jumpstart. This is the Police Accountability Task Force. Yet the city is engaged in similar activity, and in this instance, with respect to a living victim, he said. Where's the change, Lori? Where is it? This is a move you would have gotten by Daly. This is a move you'd have gotten by Ron. I have an inspector general. I helped create the deputy public and safety inspector general's office. This is Lori. I also, I was the main 
impetus in the beginning for Community Renewal Society to actually create this office. And I worked helping draft that legislation and getting it passed. Now, Lori created the office, but didn't turn to it, helped create it, didn't turn to it when an obvious uh, government malfeasance and corruption and, and abuse happened. No, she hires an outside firm that she can claim attorney-client privilege on and hide shit. This way she has less to worry about, but leaks. Now, the funny part, ladies and gentlemen, if you remember back, I think this last summer, Jones Day was hacked. And Jones Day had like 30,000 or so emails from Lori's office and around the investigation of this. And those emails, a lot of those emails are online. You can find them now. They got hacked. So there was a little more transparency, I'm sure, than Lori intended. And that shows um, Lori in a bad light, for sure. Okay, let's get to our last segment. New York and Los Angeles got their gun violence under control. Why can't Chicago do the same? It's an op-ed by Dr. Jens Ludwig at the University of Chicago. The op-ed appears in the Tribune. Now, before we go into this, let me tell you, I'm not a fan of Jens, Dr. Ludwig, whatsoever. He's at the Chicago Crime Lab. There's some good people there. He is not one of them. Their funding is mysterious at times, um, especially Dr. Ludwig's funding. And I say that because remember, guys, when the Crime Lab was created, Daly gave them $5 million to create this center. He bypassed the University of Illinois Chicago's criminal justice department at that time, I think. I was in it as a grad student, a PhD student. He bypassed the Loyola Department of Criminology. It's a criminal justice, now it's criminal justice and criminology. Um, he bypassed both of them to go to University of Chicago to create this crime lab center. Um, um, forgetting the executive director's name or one of the, I think there's co-directors. I think Ludwig's one of the correct and I forgot the other one's name. I forgot her name and I like her. She's from the Joyce Foundation, gave the city a bunch of money on their anti-gun initiatives. So Daly gives them this money to set up this lab. This, not this op-ed, but Ludwig previously has authored a, a, a very pro- not scientifically done, but wants to make it seem like it's a scientific report, calling for mandatory minimums for gun possession arrests. And it's a piece of crap. The report is awful, it's horrible, it's unbelievably, unbelievably, unbelievably bad. Northwestern's, um, the Bloom Legal Clinic, and I think the Family Justice Center there issue a rebuttal pretty quickly and get all kinds of academics to sign on and say Ludwig's report's a piece of shit. And it is a piece of shit. He tries to draw a correlation between our fridge. Um, he tries to draw a correlation between a probation program that if you, you're on probation and you test um, you test positive for drugs, you go back to jail for some mandatory minimum time, like three days, five days, weeks, couple of weeks, whatever it is. That was one of the, that's, that's a sentencing or a probation thing. And it's nothing to do with this issue about gun possession. There's no correlation. Those are not related. That is not um, evidence that there should be mandatory minimum for guns. I mean, his paper was horrible. 
I talked to Ludwig one time, Dr. Ludwig. I was at teaching at the University of St. Francis in suburban Chicago, out in Joliet, Illinois. And while all this controversy was going on, the paper was being used by Rom to push mandatory minimums in the General Assembly and the progressive, the Black Caucus shut it down. I called Professor Dr. Ludwig and I asked him to come be on a panel. And I wanted, I was gonna have the Joliet police chief, the Will County State's attorney who was literally across the parking lot from us. I don't like him, but I'd have someone from his office. And I was gonna get a professor from our department. I was gonna get someone from the Black Caucus um, on this panel to talk about mandatory minimums. And Dr. Ludwig, Professor Ludwig said to me on that call, I don't talk about that paper in public anymore. Yep, yep. Because he had gotten called out for the piece of shit research it was, he no longer wants to talk about. I call it voodoo academics. That was a total political paper. Push because Daly wanted it. He, he may have that mental, he may agree mentally that it is. There's no evidence ever. There's one paper from 1976 that shows mandatory minimums reduce crime. And I think that paper got recalled or taken down. I know it had been rebutted pretty strongly after that. It's been rebutted by all the research since. Mandatory minimums don't work. So anyways, um, so that's some context about the person who wrote this op-ed. Let's get into it. The homicide rate in Chicago has increased by nearly 60% over the last two years. But homicides, most of which are committed with guns, are up in cities across the country. So in Chicago's spike in gun violence, just part of a larger national trend or something different happening in our city. A closer look at the data makes, some, makes clear something is wrong here. It is. We have more gun violence in other cities. But is what's happening here that much different than other cities? Right now, no. Let's get into it. Something has changed. Something changed in the early 1990s. It didn't happen overnight, but over the last 30 years, Chicago's gun violence rate began to diverge from other cities. Today, our homicide rate is three times that of LA or five times of New York. Okay, well, we knew that, so nothing new there. What changed though? Let's, well, I want you to think about what's missing from his argument. So what did LA and New York do differently? Many criminologists, as well as Bill Bratton, the horrible, horrific, um, utterly disgusting police chief from New York Police Department, who I think his reputation should have been um, destroyed after his last term in, in, in New York. As well as Bill Bratton, chief of police in both cities at various points over the last 30 years, point to changes in policing, such as a shift to a more professionalized organization. This can include a reduction in cronyism and appointments and promotions, better officer training, data-driven management systems, an effort to increase officer and departmental accountability. Um, crap, Ola. I like it, that's a good idea, but he hasn't done any of that in New York. Read ProPublica. They almost get no discipline during his entire career in New York. They've never been disciplined. They just, the public just recently got access to the police accountability files through a lawsuit. The police department, there's an independent investigation that goes to the police department for the discipline. They almost hand out no discipline. The most common discipline handed out over like the last 30 or 40 or 50 years is removal of vacation days. 
Bill Branton is full of shit. Some of these changes, the article continues, in LA were required by the US Department of Justice as part of a consent decree with LAPD, resulting from history of civil rights violations that stretch back decades. While the role of policing in explaining divergent safety outcomes across cities remains contested, few Chicagoans would complain about having similar trends to what we saw in LA. The city's homicide rate has steadily declined as, as public support for police on surveys has steadily increased. Yay, but here's a hint to where we're going. Are this, is there a difference in the people that live in New York and LA? Is there something different about those people, say from 1990 to now? What has changed about the people in these cities? I mean, I wonder, do you think things may have changed over 30 years in those cities? The article continues. It's not uncommon to hear reporters say at least gun violence today isn't nearly as bad as the early 1990s. But while that's true for Hispanic and white residents, not that many Hispanic residents were in Chicago at that time, but okay, it no longer holds true for black Chicagoans. In fact, the, the toll gun violence took on Chicago's black residents last year was higher than at the peak of the crack cocaine epidemic 30 years ago, even after accounting for changes in population. Once again, he is taking a year, 2020, that had a worldwide pandemic hit the, the whole world, and he's trying to compare crime numbers and violence numbers as if it was a normal year. Total bullshit. He's not wrong. It's not a good year. It's awful. But no, it doesn't compare to any other year. No context at all, if he's talking about currently, at all, about the pandemic. This is the last piece. The second key point is that because our divergence from LA and New York started 30 years ago, the problems here run deeper than whatever any recent political leader has or hasn't done. There, he's very correct. Now, I would say the political leaders have done nothing but on a start on nothing that wasn't already started. They've been on a continuum to destroying black and brown communities, withdrawing all the resources out of them, daily the mental health institutions around the 50 closing 50 schools, mostly in black and brown, the poorest areas. That's nothing new. That, was, that is a, a, a continuum of sucking resources from those communities as best he could. So what was not mentioned in, in Ludwig's semi-analysis here? Poverty. 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 Am I saying New York and L.A. don't have poor? No, they do. But, ladies and gentlemen, South Central L.A. is gentrifying. You know, N.W.A. and all those rappers, and this is, we're hardcore, we come from South Central, Bloods and the Crips. That's gentrifying. Go try to rent an apartment in New York City. Go try to rent an apartment or buy something in either of those cities. Are you kidding me? You don't think that's changed? I went to New York on the Lower East Side. I think we stayed in the Lower East Side. Lower, yeah. 20, around 25 years ago. And we pull up to where we're staying. And there's like six guys have surrounded a squad car and they're whipping full bottles of beer, glass bottles. They have, they all have like 12 packs with them. And they are just whipping these bottles at the car. Our car is surrounded and they're just getting pelted with these bottles. 
we go to where we're staying. We're at a conference. Some guy agrees to let us stay with him. And he has got like four deadbolts. And then he's got these steel bars that he puts over the door to keep people out of his apartment. We just rented for like two or $300 a night, six, seven years ago. Near the same place we stayed, we had to rent through Airbnb. It was like two or $300 a night to rent the same type of space. Actually, it wasn't even the whole space. It was one bedroom in that space. You don't think things have changed? Yes, Chicago is slightly getting more expensive. And it's on a continuum that New York and LA are on. It's just way, way behind them. Also not mentioned just in general, poverty, gentrification. Also not mentioned here, ladies and gentlemen, is Chicago lost more industrial jobs, not per capita, not percentage, more just whole numbers, right? More industrial jobs that have never been replaced than either New York or LA. And I would bet almost New York and LA combined. New York is much more of a service industry, focused city. So that's all missing from Dr. Ludwig. Are there problems? I do agree with him that we're on a continuum of, of, of destroying these communities that has not been stopped. It's not been interrupted. Mayor Lightfoot umped ROMs 5 million to 36 million or something. Congratulations. The city's TIF money went from half a billion under ROM to a billion under you in a couple of years. So you went from five to 36. Congratulations. That's nothing of the money you collect that you have at your fingertips to invest in those communities. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in, the, in those communities. 36 million, it's a nice publicity number. It is not a solution. It's just so sad. But this is the way it is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. As always, email us at info at chicagojustice.org if you're interested in recommending topics for our show um, or interested on guests you want us to interview, either local or national. And um, we'll be back with you on Monday. Thank you so much.